Hello, and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers, and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed, and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar, and thanks for tuning in to what is a milestone for us, episode number 200. It's the generosity of our guests in coming on to share their insights, as well as our supporting sponsors, the ongoing work of the team here, which is often in the background to get an episode up every week, as well as our listeners in sharing the podcast that keeps Commodity Conversations going. So thanks to everyone that's helped us get to 200 episodes. Now on to today's. It's getting close to crunch time for our winter croppers out there and analysts are cautiously optimistic for big yields and a strong market. Nick Booth, Mercado's regular grain commentator and director of Next Level Grain Marketing, is joining me today to talk through the S&D picture for grain and oilseed markets, what some of the factors are that we'll be watching out for in the months ahead, as well as this evolving story on the drought in China. Before we do get stuck into it, a few highlights from the market this week. We've seen a lot of volatility in sheep and lamb prices and the oversupply of old season lambs is playing a big role in this with the mix of quality that's on offer. But in positive signs, demand for new season lambs is strong with the expectation that finished lamb prices will hold in the spring. A few more negative macroeconomic signals have come to light in recent days. US data suggests that the economy is slowing with lower gas consumption and falling ethanol demand. High inflation and energy shocks in Europe is also a huge concern. This has triggered a big correction in the wheat futures market and led the market lower across a wide range of commodities and stocks last week. We'll get into the episode now, which was recorded on the 31st of August. I hope you enjoy it. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments, are grass-fed from start to finish, and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au. Nick, welcome again. Thanks for joining me on Commodity Conversations. Thanks, Liv. Good to be here. Let's start out global today and then we'll bring it in a bit closer to home later. So if we go back a few months, grain and oilseed futures markets, they've really been through a pretty steep sell-off period and that began around about May and went through until early July. And since then, there's been a lot of movement, but the general trend has been a slight weakening of price and back to pre-war levels, really. So let's talk through what are some of the factors that have been driving these price movements? Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a, uh, a complex story. I guess if we take a step back even further, that when the invasion of Ukraine happened, the potential supply shock of not only the landlocked existing grain not finding homes, but the potential for the coming season's crop to, to be um, stranded as well caused uh, an almighty surge in futures. I think there was a lot of technical trading happening at that time too, where a lot of investors saw it as a pretty easy bet that the market would, would rally. Fast forward you know, a couple of months, and as you said, uh, mid-May, from my memory, was, was around the 
the time that things started to turn. I think the, the catalyst was probably largely the, the Russian invasion appeared to be stalling. Everyone expected it to be, or certainly the Russians expected it to be over in a, in a matter of weeks. And, and here we were two, three months into it and things had sort of come to a bit of a standstill. So, so I think the market sentiment started to, started to drift away a little bit too, that the longer that, that Ukraine could show resistance and, and the more the world... When I talk about the world, the, the 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 buyers of the world and and organisations like the UN, I think it was becoming clear that there was a very strong desire to see that grain hit the market again. And by hook or by crook, they were going to make that happen. And that that was probably about the time that a lot of the investors started to probably take some profit and started to exit their positions. And that started a, a slide which sort of has has probably gone through to about July. And since which time, I think the market has really been trending sideways, uh, maybe to a bit lower, like you suggest. But certainly the supply shock that we initially saw is, is yesterday's news. And, and now we're seeing last count, there was something like 50 odd, nearly 60 vessels that had sailed out of, out of Ukraine since the uh, development of the grain corridor worth one and a half million tonnes worth of grain, largely corn, but, you know, it's, it's proving that this grain corridor could work. And just touching on that, the movement of grain out of the Black Sea, is that going at a pace that was expected? Is it going to take a really long time to get that grain out or what's the situation there? Yeah, look, yeah, good question. I think we're seeing again baby steps, and I think you know the perhaps some of the weakness in the market that we saw attributed the start of August was with the grain corridor starting and initially succeeding. You know that took away some support as well. There are some aspirational views around what Ukraine can export. There is certainly demand for the grain, and and Ukraine and, and Russian wheat is is amongst the cheapest in the world. So. All things are lining up. However, the pace is, as I say, I think pace is probably lacking a bit. I know Russia are looking to export something in the order of 42 to 44 million tonnes, which requires them to be on about a 5 million tonne per month export pace. Um, And they're tracking at around 3 million tonnes, so they're off the pace. And I think with Ukraine, uh, like I say, baby steps for this month, they're looking like probably having exported about 1.5 million tonnes, I think. They would like to see that value up around two to to even three million tons. You know, there's a lot of hurdles there still, and with the shipping, the chartering costs, and insurance, um, not to mention the odd missile and um, artillery uh, ordnance being thrown around over there, uh, it's still a very risky place to do business. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to be on a ship going through the Black Sea anytime soon. But so we have the the Black Sea, you know, big major disruption to the market. But also we've got this time of year where the market is responding to weather issues, all of that production news. And I'm not sure if it's just me, Nick, but does it feel like the volatility in the market at the moment is more heightened than usual? Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I think it's, it's been heightened all year, but I guess it, it goes back to the last couple of years where we've seen global stocks to use. So for all the major ag commodities really have, have been getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And you've got this situation where you take a major exporter out of the equation and things suddenly become extremely uncomfortably tight. So the, the volatility that we're seeing is partially due to the 
uh, perceived weather threats that are out for the um, the row crops, that being corn and beans. But that, I guess the, the the root cause of it is these increasingly tight global ending stocks, which really leaves no room for any, any kind of production issue. And we are starting to see them come through. And I take it, Nick, that that tight stocks to use ratio isn't something that we can get over very quickly, even if we were to see, you know, a big, big harvest, it would take a long time for the stocks to use ratio to really significantly increase. It comes down to demand. And I mean, demand for for food is relatively inelastic. Yeah. And it also depends on where the grain is. Now, Russia's tipped to have a enormous crop, 94 million tonnes, I think last year was closer to 73. So I can see that the scale of what they can produce is, is colossal. But, you know, there's there's going to be a portion of that that may never or might not ever be able to be traded simply because of the, the logistical issues that we've discussed trading in, in the Black Sea. We will need, I think, consecutive years of, of well above average production to, I think, build those stocks up to a level which are perceived as being comfortable, which is sort of a, around that that 20%. At the moment, we're sort of trading around that 125 to 13% stocks to use, and I'm, I'm talking wheat here, and that's probably getting a, a little bit tight. One of the other things that be reported on a lot over the last few weeks is this drought in China, and I saw that they've had a record-breaking heatwave and a months-long drought during what's usually their flood season. Mm. Do you have any idea on what impact and flow on this could mean for the market? We know China are a big mover in the global trade. So what's your take on that one? What China say and what they do can be completely opposite to uh, all purposes. But look, you know, they're, they're the world's largest consumer of ag products. And with corn, with, with their uh, poultry and, and pig and you know, industries, like they require a huge amount of feed. We've seen in the last few years that they are net, big net importers of soybeans, corn and wheat. And, and with a drought, it, the drought was mainly in the, in the south, from what I could understand, and major corn producing areas in China in the north. But the supply chain to get the grain from north to south just doesn't exist. So there is probably good reason to suspect that that China is going to be in the market for corn and beans and, and wheat again. They certainly, I know they've booked, they're booking French wheat at an extraordinary pace at the moment. But to the, yeah, we're going to have to see that demand materialise before we can draw any real um, definitive proof, I think. Let's switch up to oilseed, Nick. I know canola has been part of that big sell-off that we were speaking about earlier that the grain market went through, but there are a lot of factors that are affecting the canola market at the moment. What are some of the key ones that have caused the price movements that we've seen of late? Yeah, put your hand up if you sold canola for uh, $1,200. Um, (laughs) I know I didn't. Look, I mean, the the rise of canola was attributed to, obviously, uh, the the drought in in Canada last year, which, which cut their production by almost 50%. We've seen issues in soybeans and then earlier in the year Indonesia announced rather suddenly a export ban on palm oil. Now palm oil represents I think it's 55% of global trade in veggie oils. So a hugely significant determinant to that caused canola to rally to the point where it was well people were talking about uh, having to shutter biodiesel plants because the cost was too much. There was demand destruction 
really was a, uh, a consideration. Since that point, though, we've seen a record crop of soybeans in South America. The US is about to reap potentially a record soybean crop. We've seen crude oil. The mother of the oil market is, for want of a better term, has come off its highs. It's trading sort of under 90 US dollars a barrel now. And Indonesia rescinded on their decision, the export ban. So, you know, they're, they're back in the market. And, you know, the whole thing is, has just, I guess, all come together and it's, and it's seen a, a really solid sell-off of canola prices globally. That and the fact that the Canadian production, uh, there were figures out today that, um, you know, after last year's drought, they're looking at, you know, near record canola production. Uh, despite lower acres as well. So, you know, you've got a number of these factors all combining to see a sell-off, but it's far from catastrophic. Global stocks remain pretty tight and we do have mandates around the world for CO2 emissions and things like that, and that's where the likes of biodiesel and uh, and ethanol sort of come into their own in propping up these prices. And are there any factors ahead? If we're looking to new crop harvest time, what Mm. are the market drivers that we'll be watching out for the canola outlook? I think we're going to see plenty of demand emerge for Australian canola. Uh, simply because the the avenues, the supply chain. So so Europe would normally buy all of the canola that Ukraine produces, and and those pathways are um, are tenuous to say the the best, as well as production not being there this year that um, they might enjoy in in an average season. So you would expect European canola to come for our oil seed. Canada is probably in the box seat to to re engage with China now that some of those barriers to entry have been removed. So they're going to be big suppliers into that Chinese market as well. So I think we're going to see some good demand. What what is going to be interesting looking right forward though is Canada are, are building a number of crush facilities. And if we say that that Canada produces somewhere between last year was about 12, but on average they produce about 20 million tonnes of canola. The crush plants are going to have the capacity to crush somewhere between 10 and 12 million tonnes. And that's going to significantly reduce the amount of oil seed or canola seed that is available for export. So I think it does bode well for prices looking forward. There is also, there's always a flip side, some news that is stirring that that biodiesel may be on the outer, but that's uh, in Europe, that is. So we might need to just watch that space a little bit. So on one hand, you've got these refineries that are sending very big positive demand signals into the market, but also a tentative watch in terms of biofuel blending mandates from the EU. Correct, correct. And um, I'd love to say that it was uh, that it was all plain sailing one, in one direction, but like I say, there's always a flip side. Yeah, that's right. And what are we looking at locally, Nick, in terms of the production expectations? We know you're on the ground in the Air Peninsula. What have we got in store at this point in the season? There's a lot of cautious optimism, I think you would would use the phrase. It is looking fantastic over here, as it is in many other parts of, of Australia. I think you know, we're looking at a, just on my little patch, we're looking at a, a well above average season. If we can just get through the September period without any uh, any of Jack Frost around, running around the place, we'll all be very happy little campers, I think. But the La Nina years have been very kind to Australian growers. We're looking at back to back to back, very high, if not record production numbers. I think with a, with a 33 million tonne Australian crop again this year, which is probably only just a little bit below last year. So, you know, all things considered, it's uh, it's a it's a great time for farmers with with potentially record crops and very very strong prices. 
And just diving a little bit more into the the crop and, and what we're looking at this year, I know last year the grade spreads were a big issue because we got all that wet weather at harvest. Are there any other factors that we're looking at this year that might impact returns? Yeah, I think most of the trade looking at this year's crop with a view that it's going to be low protein. As I said, back-to-back big crops, pleading available soil nutrition a lovely soft finish hopefully fingers crossed will mean that that yield potential is is maximized and i think the fact that nitrogen fertilizer is so expensive and in some places quite difficult to to source means that there's probably been some corners cut in terms of the available nitrogen uh, for this year's crop so i think it's fair to to assume that we're going to look at a a low protein type of year. We saw WA last year, despite having a perfect season, I think they produced an ASW crop by and large, very low protein, around 8%. And I would suggest that, you know, we're going to see a bit more of that this year if if things keep progressing the way they are. So, So long story short, we could very well, particularly in the early days of harvest, see premiums for hard wheat for the higher protein grades become quite attractive as the trade seeks to to get their um, protein requirements but if we if we see this this soft finish eventuate i think it's not unreasonable to think that that asw spreads could continue to widen and you said there nick about the uh, the spread or the the premium and discount between those different protein grades would a lower protein grade wheat head into a different market than a higher protein grade yes i guess a lot of our traditional markets I mean, australia is traditionally a market of, of higher protein um, milling wheats so and it, and it depends on where the blends are, but some of the markets in Southeast Asia and you know, have have minimum protein requirements. I know I think CBH had some issues last year with moving some of the, the very low protein stuff. We had to find feed markets and it was probably fortunate the feed market was, was very strong last year, but the trade may find it might need to look outside the square again. And alternatively, some of the buyers of, of Australian grain may be looking elsewhere to, to secure some of their, their higher protein requirements. Well, Nick, that's been great to talk to you today. We've got the global picture, the local picture. So thanks very much for your time and we hope to catch up with you again. Awesome. Thanks, Liv. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. Please remember to share the podcast with your network and leave us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next week, take care.